When I tell other people about, tell this, is that the surprise when I mentioned that y'all are very political. A lot of you, not all of you, a lot, and some of you are like me when I was 10 years old at the first inauguration I remember. I was 10, it was 2000, it was President George W. Bush, and um, I was excited mainly because my parents are, was excited. I had no idea what was happening, and I thought I'd contribute to the excitement by uh, getting a bunch of quarters and just spinning them on the ground in the living room. I thought, I was like, I'm bringing joy to the situation, yay. I had no idea what was going on. This one I have, yes, I know what's going on. I watched President Biden's speech today, and I know some of you did. I know some of you didn't because you're disappointed. Very much so. But it's people's surprise that young men and young women like you are so political and care about politics. So much so that a lot of the questions that you were asking at the Q&A with Pastor Lucas and Pastor PJ were about politics. No, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You guys are curious, how do I live a life under a new presidency? For some of you, you're excited that the former president is gone. For some of you, you are ragingly mad that you feel this election was taken away and this other man won. And so you kept asking question after question after question, but it's because you want to know how to live a godly life or how to live life under a president you may disagree with. Who remembers Pastor PJ's answer to that when he was on a soapbox moment? He said, read the prophets. There's your answer. Stop going to the CNNs, the Fox News, your Twitter feeds, your TikToks, whatever it is. Go to the prophets. He said, actually, go even further. Go to Daniel. Specifically, go to Daniel chapter one. So out of obedience to Pastor PJ's advice, I want you to turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter one. Because how, does, uh, how do we, and especially how do you, a 15, 16, 17, 18, some of you 19, you old men and women, live under a new presidential administration? How do many of you live under a new governor if, if Governor Newsom is voted out? How do we live under the next president after Joe Biden? God's word is that guidebook. And only God's word is going to be that guidebook. Because the Daniel chapter one, as you're going to read, is about four men, young men, who are most likely your age, either 15 to 17 years old. And they had a different type of election. They had another nation come in and conquer them. And they're taken out of their land into exile to a country that does not want anything to do with God. And yet God uses them as an example. As the New Testament talks about, the Old Testament is an example for us to follow. And the example that you're going to see as we dive through the entire chapter of Daniel chapter 1 is that we need to be determined to stay on a mission for Christ in a godless culture and trust God with the results. Not us, not the people who are elected in this country at least, 
or if you decide to live out of the country at some point in your life, the officials who are in charge then, no, trust God with the results, but his results. Some of you care, some of you really don't care. Everyone has a strong opinion about what happened today on January 20th, 2021, as Joe Biden was, as, was inaugurated president of the United States. Some of you have a strong opinion against him. Some of you have a strong opinion for him. Some of, some of you have a strong opinion. I don't care. I just want to live life. But the mission that we have as Christians is one to declare Christ to the world. And that's it. Our mission over, goes over any administration that runs this country. Goes over any dictatorship that may take over this country. Goes over any king, any elected official here. Our mission is Christ alone. So, how do we react when a new administration takes over? How do you, as a young high schooler, a young man, a young woman, react to what happened today? Go with me to verse 1 of chapter 1 and see what happened with Daniel and his friends. Beginning in chapter, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Now this is about 606, 605 BC. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who's also referred as the king of kings, who's the god of that nation, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. Now this is the first phase of the exile. Israel, the northern tribe, is gone. This is the southern tribe now. Israel's gone. Assyria conquered them. And Judah held out by God's grace. But now, because of the disobedience, God is now allowing them to be conquered. And this one in 606 BC, in the first phase of the exile under King Jehoiakim, Daniel was carried away. But there was a second phase later in 598 BC, under, king, uh, under Jehoiachin, and that's when Ezekiel was carried away. And the last phase of the exile was in 588 BC, where Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed Israel and the temple. And that's where Zedekiah was carried away. So just in context, Daniel is the first one to go. He's in the first phase of this long process of an exile. So we continue back in verse 2. The Lord gave the king of Judah, uh, Jehoiakim king of Judah, into the king of Babylon, the Nebuchadnezzar's hand, with, with some of the vessels of the house of God. Referring back to 2 Kings 20, this is the treasure, the silver, the gold, the bronze items that was kept in the temple. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, just another name for Babylon, to the house of his God, Nebuchadnezzar's God. Who's his God? It's Bel, also known as Marduk. Also, it's also the God of Nebo who is the son of Bel, hence Nebuchadnezzar, which means, fun fact, Nebu has protected my inheritance. So Nebuchadnezzar has conquered Israel, has taken the, the gold and the treasury out of the place of worship in Israel and into his place of worship. At the end of verse two, he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God, showing that his God defeated Israel's God. You follow? He's trying to emphasize that my God conquered your God. Our nation is stronger than your nation you lose, good day, sir. Continuing in verse three. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, 
both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. He's getting the cream of the crop. He's taking the highest officials and the highest people in the land, the best looking people saying, you're coming with us. For what reason? One, probably a hostage situation. Meaning that if you disobey, we'll kill your kids. So make sure you comply, okay? If you were kidnapped and someone said, hey, you, you know, you, you disobey, your parents are probably gonna obey and comply and try to rescue you. For them, it's like, hey, don't disobey us because we'll just kill your son. So happy campers. The other reason why is so that they can brainwash them. They can indoctrinate them, turn them from Israelites into Babylonians, maybe to send them back to Israel to govern over Israel as loyal subjects and vassals to Babylon. No longer an Israelite serving Yahweh, but a Babylonian serving the gods of Babylon instead. So they want to change them completely. Continuing in verse four, they want to teach them literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Verse five, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. The best of the best. Why? To fully assimilate them to their culture. To become like, not like Yahweh anymore, but to become like Nebuchadnezzar. In their mind, the God of gods, the king of kings. They were to be educated for three years. So welcome to the University of Babylon, free tuition. At the end of that time, they were, they were to stand before the king. This is a, there's an exam coming. And if they don't perform, instead of giving an F, they die. So this is a stressful exam. Verse 6. Among these exiles, these, these Jews, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, which again is important. They're the royal line, the line of kings, and the eventual line of Christ. Verse 7. The chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, which means God is my judge, he called Belshazzar, which means lady, protect the king. Hananiah, which means Yahweh has been gracious, he called Shadrach, I'm fearful of the Babylonian God. Mishael, which means who is what God is, so his parents really wanted people to ask a question his whole life, he called Meshach, I am despised, contentable, humbled before the Babylonian God. And Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped, he called Abednego, which means Nebu, I am his servant. Servant of Nebu. Again, their ultimate goal, the Babylonians, was for Israel, these young men, to forget their God and to fully embrace being Babylonian. In a sense, Babylon is trying to flex real hard. They're saying, hey, our God is bigger. We conquered you. We took your gold out of your temple, put it in our temple went for our God. We're going to change your names from you worshiping God to worshiping our God went for us. And we're going to conform you into our image instead of God's image went for us. But they don't know and don't understand, but Daniel and his friends did, is that God planned this the whole thing out. See, the joke's on Babylon. It's jokes on them. God's in charge. He used them, the Babylonians, to punish Israel. So the Babylonians weren't in charge. God was. So for some of you who are worried about this new administration, don't worry. God's in charge. He has been from the beginning and he will be till eternity. God is in charge. So he has a, he has a great plan. Part of his plan was to redeem man. 
to redeem man on the cross, to take the full wrath of God in our place so that we all have to do is repent and trust in him. That's his plan. And his plan is going to continue to bring a new heavens and a new earth. That's a great plan. So we should submit to that plan. Just as Daniel, Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah, they understood that this is God's plan. So they submitted to God's overall grand plan. So put that down for point number one, submit to God's global plan. As my wife and I were driving up to go on a mini vacation for her birthday, we went to San Luis Obispo, which is about five hours, six hours north from here. On the way up, I mean, the traffic was light. We're flowing down the freeway, no problem. But almighty Google Maps said, hey, exit here. And I'm like, this makes no sense. I'm going to be on this road for several hundred miles. Why exit here when there's no traffic? I don't get it. So I ignore it. Even though Google's saying, hey, submit to this plan. It's going to be better for you. It's going to be faster. I'm like, I see the road. It's empty. I'm looking at this map. This makes no sense. I'm going to keep going. Well, almighty Google is right. Turns out there was traffic. And we sat still, you know, still on the road for several, a good amount of time. And I was sitting there the whole time thinking, man, I just wish I just submitted to Google Maps. I mean, I understand if you, if you, you know, if ignoring Apple Maps, that, that thing's junk anyway. But we all know Google Maps or Waze is so much better than Apple Maps. Because Google knows something more than I did. It had a different perspective. You see, God has a greater perspective than Google, believe it or not. And he has a greater plan in mind that we need to trust and submit to. So firstly, in order to submit to this plan, we need to actually accept this plan. You see, it seemed like Israel lost. In a sense, they did. But remember the key words. God gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. Because he easily could have defeated the Babylonian armies. How do we know that? Because he did so early with the, the Syrian army. The Syrian army surrounded Jerusalem. They cried out for deliverance. And guess what God did? He sent an angel down and wiped out that army. And they fled. God could have done the same thing. But it's all part of his plan to discipline Israel. Jot down Deuteronomy 28, 45 to 52. Deuteronomy 28, 45 to 52. The reason why Daniel and Hanani and Mishael and Azariah were able to submit to this plan that it seemingly is horrible to be, in their perspective, they just saw people die. They saw probably some people get sexually assaulted. They saw the Babylonians come in and take the city. That's not a really great plan. They were probably really sad about what happened. But they understood what God promised in Deuteronomy 28. And in Moses giving God's law to Israel as they were about to enter the land, saying, if you disobey me, guess what's going to happen? All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed. So please don't disobey me. Because what Israel did, year after year, decade after decade, king after king, Judah and Israel disobeyed, so God disciplined them. And he even used a Gentile nation to do so. So as we recognize President Biden, Vice President Harris, and the other elected officials who were elected, we have to understand God determined for this to happen and we should just take a step back and say, okay, God, what are you trying to do? What is your plan? And how can I submit to it? 
Next, we need to make sure that we understand that we need to prepare for a clash of worldviews that's about to happen. For Daniel and his friends, they understood, okay, yeah, these people are trying to conform me just like this world is trying to conform you. Think about, listen to the influencers next time you, you go on your Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat, the people that you like to follow, what message are they trying to teach you? The music that you like to bop to, what are the lyrics? What are they trying to say to you? Even innocent movies like Disney movies, like Soul or Mandalorian, which are fun, innocent TV shows, right? They're fun, but they're trying to mold you in their image. How do you combat that? First, you need to be in your Bible. Not just in it, oh, I read it today. No, you need to be in it. You need to wrestle with it. You need to understand it. You need to reach out to myself, Pastor Rod, your leader, and say, I don't understand this. Help me understand this and comprehend this so that I can have a greater perspective so when things don't go my way politically, I don't freak out like that one lady at the Trump inauguration when they said, President of the United States, and she's on the ground. No! Some of you are that person right now. Understand that, right? Some of you are that person. Maybe you don't display it like that. But that's a person who's not grounded in their faith and grounded in the word. And for some of you, you are not grounded in the word. And you are in the emotional waves right now. What's going on? Maybe you're really happy or really, or really angry. Daniel and his friends probably felt that, but they grounded God's word in their lives and they probably felt this, and this is what you need to do as well. You need to be glad that God is in complete control and praise him regardless. Because the plan for us as Christians, you know what God's plan for us, for us Christians is? We're going to advance the church. The gates of hell won't stop us. We're going to win people to Christ. But as t Paul wrote to Timothy, his last letter, he says, guess what? All who desire to live a godly life, which is, you know, should be all of us here, right? We say we're Christians, we're part of your north, or maybe you're not. It's like, hey, you should, I want to check it out. You know, if those who want to pursue a godly life, this is our future. We will be persecuted. That's our future. We will be persecuted. Why? Because they, the world hated Jesus and we love Jesus. Therefore, they're going to hate us. So praise God that he's in complete control because remember the future that he has for those who follow him. Your homework tonight is to read Revelation 21 verses one through five. Remember, this is the future for those who follow Christ. Behold, a new heaven and a new earth came. In this world, there is no, uh, there is no tears. There is no pain. There is no mourning or sorrow. That is the world I look forward to. Now, is that the world that you look forward to? So True North, make sure you're grounded in scripture in all, in all your whole life. Because then, like Daniel, you'll respond correctly, living in a world that's seemingly godless. Because they were living in a very godless nation. Go down to verse 8 of chapter 1 with me. Daniel and his friends understood this is part of God's plan. Because of that, they were able to respond correctly in a, in a sticky situation. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Daniel resolved, that strong word, the same word that it describes Ruth as she was resolved to stay with Naomi. She's like, hey, you can leave her. Just, just leave me, go away. This will be, life is too hard. She's like, I will stay with you, Naomi. I will be faithful. I resolved to do so. It's the same resolve that King David had for building the temple of God. 
Even though God said, you will not build my temple, he's like, okay, I can't do it, but I'm going to resolve to make sure that my son who will is set up. He bought all the supplies. He got everything ready to say, all right, son, Solomon, this will be a lot easier for you because I am resolved to worship my God. So Daniel is resolved to worship God and God alone, and he will not defile himself with the king's food. So what is the king's food? So this king's food is been sacrificed to their gods. How do we know? Because he didn't want to defile himself. The only way that, you know, that Israel could be defiled by eating anything is if it's worshiped, to, if it's sacrificed to any false god. So they didn't want to disobey that. They didn't want to defile themselves and become unclean as a result. Therefore, he punched the guy in the face. Therefore, he exercised his second amendment right and shot him. Therefore, he, he kicked him in the shin and ran away. Therefore, he protested, screaming his head off, saying, I'm not going to do it. You'll never stop me. No. Therefore, he asked, he requested, not demanded, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. His purpose was for godliness, and he did so with graciousness and respect. Something that we need to emulate. Continuing in verse 9, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. See, Daniel trusted God that God could do something great. And what was the great thing? He changed the heart of a godless man to allow him to do something. He changed the heart. Maybe you have a teacher, maybe you have a coach, maybe you have a parent or a sibling, an extended family who hates your faith, who mocks your faith. And you need to do something that I, I can't compromise in this area. This will go against my conviction of living a holy life for Christ. This is our example that Daniel is giving us. And we have to trust that God is the one that can actually change that person's heart who does not fear God. God is showing that I am not defeated. Rather, I am complete charge in complete charge and even in a godless country. Continue verse 10. The chief of the eunuch said to Daniel, I fear the Lord my king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So would you endanger my head with a king? The guy is worried about getting his head cut off. And rightfully so. If he presented, he's like, hey, guy, hey, Mr. King Nebuchadnezzar, this is, these are the guys that um, I presented. Here's, um, here's Nathan and Ian and Daniel. Ta-da. And they're like skinny and pale. He's like, oh, you did a horrible job. I'm going to cut your head off. Bye. So he's worried about his position. Like many of the people that oversee you are afraid of cancel culture or afraid of being cut out of society, even if they complied to God. So what did Daniel do? He walked away, he gave up. He ate the king's food. No, verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with their servants according to what you see. What Daniel is doing, he's reasoning, he's negotiating, but he's doing so with graciousness. Not demanding, but with graciousness, saying, hey, just do a test. And again, he's doing so trusting God because he knows God is the one that can change the hearts of men. So what happened next? Verse 14, so this guy, the steward, Listen to them in this matter and test them for 10 days. Only God could have won this man's heart. And Daniel understood that. And that's what we need to understand, especially in this political season. Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. 
God blessed their obedience and gave them favor in the sight of him and the sight of man. This was what Israel was supposed to do. They disobeyed. Now they're in exile. They're supposed to obey and draw the nations to Yahweh and say, this is the only God you're supposed to worship nations. But they failed. But God is going to use these men to say, you know what? You're going to continue my task to draw the nations to me through their obedience. So what happened? Verse 16, they were so successful that the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Think about the significance of the situation. Because of their obedience, God is able to allow, to allow this man to have a heart change and a behavior change to give to disobey the king. They could get his head cut off. Instead, to allow these people to obey God instead, God changed the heart of a man who did not fear him through Daniel's obedience. Because Daniel was resolved not to worship any other God, but he did so with respect and grace. As leaders know that you guys and us included, we're going to be faced and, faced and confronted with things that we don't agree with. We're going to have to say, you have to comply with this. You're going to have to bend the knee to this. That is contrary to scripture. We know that's coming. But we also know that we need to live for Christ. So how do we do this here and now, January 20th with a new president? Point number two, resolve to live for Christ with graciousness. Resolve to live for Christ with graciousness. I really wanted to show you a video of some Christian apologists evangelizing to some hostile people. There's some great videos of guys like Jeff Durbin, Frank Turek, great comfort going around and people are hostile, they're rude, they're ins they insult them, but yet they respond with calmness and respect and love. In wisdom, they tear down their arguments. But I thought, you know, why, not, why choose men who have been doing this for years? Why not tell you guys a story of a true norther about five or six years ago that I witnessed do that? We were at a public school. It was a combo event. Some of you know, I used to work for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's an FCA true north, big outreach. We had a bunch of pizzas. We had a big thing in the gym. Pastor Mark was there. Um, actually, Pastor Mark helped organize it. He wasn't there. I was there. But we're trying to, you know, we usually do get pizzas to draw people in. But there's a true norther and I, you know, let's try to get people from the outside to come to the gym and let's just bring the pizzas to them. So we went outside, passing out pizzas. I got held up by other people like, hey, I want to, you know, pizza. And so I started talking and then I see this other student go in the distance. As I'm talking, I'm starting, obviously I see a crowd forming. All of a sudden I see phones popping up and I'm like, what is going on over there? I asked him afterwards, like, hey, what, what, what happened? What, what, what went down? He's like, well, turns out I met a very a hostile atheist. Not all atheists are mean. They're, some of them are very nice and cordial and you know, lovely, lovely to be around. This one, not so much. He asked him, hey, what are you doing passing out pizza? He's like, oh, there's an event. We're sharing the gospel of Jesus in there. You should, hey, you should check it out. And this guy started ridiculing him, making fun of him, saying, wait, you're telling me you believe this? Hey, you're telling me you believe that? You're so stupid, you believe this? People start pulling up their phones because like, oh, this is getting fun. There's a fight instead of like calling authorities. Instead, they pull up their phones and say, oh, this is going to go down. <laughs> and no, I was so proud of this young man, maybe 17 years old, in the face of hostility, he responded with a smile, with calmness, and with the gospel. He answered their questions. The guy was trying to raise up the intensity. He brought it down. He responded with graciousness, and the guy just walked away. I can't wait 
to see how many people that young man maybe led to Christ because of that moment. I'm so curious to see what God did in that moment because he responded with the graciousness. Well, people who don't believe in God or follow God were watching as one guy was attacking. Some of us are very passionate and zealous in this season of politics. Some of us are very apathetic. Instead, we need to zealously live for Christ with graciousness, no matter where you are. All of us need to live zealously for Christ in all circumstances, especially when it's difficult. What this young man lived out was Romans 12, 20 verses 20 to, 20 to 21. He gave his enemy food and water to drink in, in a sense. He did so with respect and he poured burning hot coals on his head. He did not give in to evil, but instead he overcame evil with good. So in the situations that you're in with your school, maybe you have some friends or teammates that are hostile to your faith. Maybe you have extended family that's hostile to your faith. You maybe have parents or siblings that are hostile to your faith. How do you personally respond with graciousness? That's something that you're going to have to talk, to talk about in your small groups. But how do you personally respond with graciousness to the people who are hostile to you in your life? But how do you, how do you keep that grounded? This young man, he responded with scripture. How did Daniel respond? He responded remembering scripture. So we need to make sure you and I, we need to have these promises, God's promises to motivate us to hold the line, to not compromise, but to do so respectfully. With your work, with your school, maybe with some of your parents, to respond respectfully with graciousness, but you're remembering the promises that God has. Like Proverbs 16, seven, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's the example of Daniel right there. But Daniel also remembered Deuteronomy 31 through 10, that God will one day circumcise the hearts of Israel and give them a love for God again. And then God will bring them back into the land. The exile will one day be over. So Daniel's like, all right, I'm gonna be faithful in this situation. Even though they want me to compromise, I will not. And I'll do so respectfully, but trusting that God in the end will win because I want to be a witness for God. I want to be a witness to Yahweh. And that's the third thing we need to do in order to live, and live for Christ, to be the witness that God wants us to be, to display the gospel. The gospel is supposed to change our lives. If you have professed Christ, bear that fruit. Demonstrate that life. Show that God has saved you. Lean on him, depend on him, dwell in his word, trust in his strength. Allow him to change you and tell other people about that change because that will be the greatest witness tool for you in any administration that takes over this country. As Jesus said, we're supposed to be a light to the world. Matthew 5, 16. For what reason? So that the world may see your good works and give glory to God in heaven. Be that light you need to be. Daniel was that light. As we'll re read on, he was a light to four different kings. And one of them probably got saved. So Daniel and his friends were faithful. They passed the test for 10 days. Okay, then what happened? Go to verse 17 with me, Daniel 1. What happened? What did God do as a result? Verse 17, as for, as, for these four, as for these four youths, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, God gave them, here, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. 
And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Sounds like Joseph in Egypt, almost another scenario. Verse 18, at the end of the time, three years of school at University of Babylon, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. It's exam time. This time, either you fail, you die, you pass, you get to live. Great motivation. Verse 19, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. As Nasher Libre would say, they are the best. Therefore, as a result, because of that, they stood before the king. Meaning they got to serve the king publicly. The king's like, these guys are the cream of the crop. They're the best. I want them to be around me. And when people see my greatness, it's because these guys are awesome. Because God gave them their awesomeness. Verse 20. And in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he tested about them, he found them 10 times better. This is the irony. This is the funny part. You got to pay attention to this. 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that came out of the exile. No, that were in all his kingdom. See, the Babylon tried to flex on God, but God flexed back. You giggle, but think about it. Four rookies, four rookies were better than every magician and enchanter of all Babylon. From the empire, from Egypt to Mesopotamia. Everyone who's been in there for 30 years, 40 years, 10 years, people who've been doing this for years, God schooled them with four rookies. Because it's about God and not us. And verse 21 is probably way more important than you think. Actually, it is way more important. You need to think about this. Verse 21, and Daniel was there until the first king of Cyrus. Okay, cool fact. You win a cool like game, trivia game. That was in 539 BC, 67 years later. Daniel did serve about 75 years. King Cyrus. Someone tell me, who, who, what empire was Cyrus the king of? Persia. Persia. Is that Babylon? No. no. Persia conquered Babylon. This one verse has so much implications. God blessed Daniel so hard. God flexed so hard that he outlasted the kings of Babylon. Not only that, the first year of Cyrus, write down 2 Chronicles 36. 2 Chronicles 36. At the very end of the book, the end of the Hebrew Bible, it says, in the first year of King Cyrus, God stirred in his heart to do what? To send Israel back and to rebuild his temple. Daniel got to see this. Now think of this. He was the first one to leave and he's the, he got to see the first ones go back home. He got to see the exile begin to end. He got to see what Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed the temple, he got to see his work be undone. How? By God. God blessed Daniel and his crew for their faithfulness, but not for their success, but for his, God's glory alone. He was a faithful servant to the end. You and I, we need to be faithful servants, no matter if President Joe Biden's the president for the next four, eight years, or whoever takes over. Be faithful servants to God. So put that down for point number three. Strive to be a faithful servant to God. I was wondering what missionary should I talk about? What crazy story of some guy who was faithful? There's plenty out there. 
But I thought, what better examples that you know about of faithful servants to God here and right now are your leaders? Week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. They're here to be faithful to God, to disciple you, to lead you to become more like Christ. But as leaders, I think collectively we agree there's one among us who's probably above the rest. He's going to hate me for saying this, but he's not here tonight. But Mr. O is probably the most faithful leader that I know. You know how long he's been discipling people here in True North? For 10 years. But he's been doing that before he came to Cumbers Bible Church. He's been discipling young men since the year 2000. So for 21 years, he's been faithfully discipling young men to be more like Christ. Young men like leaders like James Shima Bukuro. Other leaders like Dr. Kelly Esquire V. But not only that, if you know Mr. O, he also serves in kids ministry on top of True North. And he's been serving kids ministry since 1984. For 37 years, he has been faithful. And I cannot wait to see the rewards that Jesus Christ gives him in the end. I hope I get a front, front row seat to see God tell Mr. a good and faithful servant. Now, if he was here right now, he'd be shaking his head. He'd be like running in the hills right now. He's like, this is too embarrassing, Evan. What are you doing? I don't like you right now. Because he understands this. Because it's, like, it's all for God's glory. That's the point. Mr. O wants it for God's glory. Daniel wanted, he wanted success for God's glory. You and I should want to success to be faithful servants, not for us so that we can survive the next four years of President Biden or for the next eight years of President Biden or whoever we get next. No, we want to be faithful servants to glorify God. That should be our only motivation. That's the point the point of God giving Solomon wisdom is to draw the nations. And that's what happened in 1 Kings 10, 24. The whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his mind. The point of Solomon is to give God glory. Our purpose here and now is not to give glory to one person or the other person. No, it's to bring God glory and glory alone. One way to do that is to try to bring more people to salvation. To desire to see people saved. I bet Daniel wanted every king that he served under to be saved. I think God did use him with Nebuchadnezzar. If you continue on in Daniel through Daniel chapter four, you see Nebuchadnezzar kind of go through these weird waves of emotion. And one day he's like, fire your furnace, burn them. He's like, oh wait, no, your God's amazing. And then he goes, I'm amazing. Then God humbles him. He's crawling on the ground, eating like a goat, eating the grass. But the last words we hear in the Bible of Nebuchadnezzar is Daniel 4, 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble i don't know about you but that sounds like a man who fears god that sounds like a man that if you follow christ that you and i might actually be able to meet think about that daniel a faithful servant god probably used him to win nebuchadnezzar to himself well what about those rulers who refuse to obey god don't worry god will take care of them the next king after Nebuchadnezzar, God judged. He tried to make it up for him and he exalted Daniel back to his position. And God's like, no, too late. And he died by the Persians. 
Some of you don't like our former president. Some of you despise our former President Trump. Some of you don't like and despise President Biden and it's been day one. Some of you don't care. And guess what? All those answers are wrong. We should desire that all men know Christ. Why? Because that's God's desires. Ezekiel 18, Ezekiel 23, he wants the wicked to repent. He knows that they won't, but he wants them to repent. We should want our president to repent, our vice president to repent, our former president to repent, our senators to repent. Anyone who does not follow Christ, we want them to be saved. I do, do you. My challenge to you is that every single day for the next four years, pray for President Biden, pray for Kamala Harris, not just for their success, no, for their salvation. You do that and see the joy that comes with it. Instead of the hate that fosters, like Yoda talked about, leads to the dark side. Instead, you'd be a joyful Christian who knows, all right, God's in control. I'm okay. Pray for our governors. Pray for your senators. Pray for elected officials. Some of them are saved. Some of them are not. Some of us are too distracted about wanting our man in office. Some of us are too distracted by, you know, I don't care. I just want to do my own thing. No, our mission is Christ and to spread his name across this globe. We're supposed to be faithful witnesses until God calls us home. Daniel served for 75 years. Paul, with confidence, was able to say these words, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Will you hear these words from Jesus? Well done, good and faithful servant. Or will you allow yourself to be so distracted that you forget your entire mission as a Christian to reach people for Christ? Charles Spurgeon said, if you have lived to bring one sinner to Christ, you have not lived in vain. But if you live a life that brings zero people to Christ, you have lived in vain. Let's strive for just one, more than just one Christian. How can you start? Start with Jackson's testimony. We're gonna drop it this weekend. We'll drop it on Instagram. I don't have Instagram. We'll drop it on YouTube. I don't have YouTube. Find a friend, have them download it, send it to you and send it to someone. Let's care about the gospel. There's about 180 of you out there right now. 180. Imagine if every single one of us started sharing the gospel every single day, somehow starting with the testimonies starting with sharing verses, starting to live out our faith. Instead of saying, I want this man in office, I want this person in office, saying, I want Christ as my king. How much could we change this area for Christ? How many people will repent if we obey in this way, true north? I know it's scary. I know it's overwhelming. But Daniel had faith when an empire stormed in and carried off his family and carried him off away from his family, excuse me. How much more can we make an impact? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the the days of Herod, Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came from Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. What does that have to do with Daniel? Think of the possibilities. The man came from the east. They were wise men. I also know as magi. Who was in charge of the magi? 
back east 500 years prior. Could Daniel have made disciples that made disciples that made disciples that made disciples, teaching them to pay attention to the word and the scriptures, to be looking for this Messiah, this Jewish king that will come to redeem mankind? Maybe. But I know that there was a Jewish community out there in the East, probably some faithful men, maybe discipled by Daniel, I don't know. But they were faithful men to God who taught the Gentiles to look for Messiah. And guess what? 500 years after the exile, these men came and worshiped Christ. Think big picture, True North. Will God use your life and your legacy, the people that you disciple, to reach people 500 years from now? Think big be determined to stay on mission for Christ, no matter what godless culture, or if it's even a godly culture that takes over, or no matter what, trust God with the results, stay on mission. I'm so passionate about this because I've seen many of you graduate and go and get distracted, both on the right and on the left. Finding solutions in man alone. We mock the Karens. We mock the people who worship Trump. We make fun of the, the bear guy, Mr. Buffalo Man and the Capitol riots. We mock those who worship Harris and Biden. We, we mock those. That's your future. That is you if you do not follow Daniel's example because you will trust in man. One day you'll be successful. Your guy will be president for four years or eight years and he'll be distraught when someone else gets elected, wondering, where are you, God? He's like, I've been in control the whole time. Where have you been? I don't want you to turn to the people I've seen, get so distracted and have no hope. And they become embittered adults and they fight a fight that fails for the rest of their life. Instead of being like a faithful servant like Daniel for 75 years, he had his ups and downs. We can have our ups and downs but he is faithful to God. Will you take up this challenge or will you ignore me? Will you ignore God's word? Will you ignore Daniel's example? Brush this off the shoulder and go, whatever, I will take care of it some my own time. Don't do that. Follow Christ now. Let's pray. 